Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, PK, on November 1st, 2023. PK, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing just fine, taking a look at all this chaos that's around us, but it's going to be yes. good, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Tell us, what are you finding Angels. with the numbers? Well, this this is an interesting part right now because November this year is a nine-month, which is all about endings. But between uh, the end of October and December, there are constant thoughts about putting things together. And there's going to be different ways of wanting to control your world and the need to be patient. Think in terms of this month, whatever does not fit in your world, get rid of it so you can start fresh in December. But this is like a, it's like a being on a teeter-totter. Patience is going to be required, and it's going to be important to get rid of some of these things that have been gnawing at us that we haven't paid attention to, because the building of what's coming up will really take off in December. With all the holiday situations ongoing, we're going to be playing and being pulled back and forth. So patience is going to be very, very important right now. And this is going to be a good month if you want to invest in things, because it does deal with our finances and putting things in order. So take a time to be gentle with yourself. Don't overthink things and make a mess of everything because with the holidays, we're going to be going two and three different directions at one time. But this month deals with putting things in order financially, and we're working towards putting things out there to get the best of the best for ourselves. So be kind to ourselves instead of making chaos out of what we think is ongoing. Take your time and be sure of what's ongoing. Get rid of what you don't need. Make it a good point to go for what's necessary. Just a few tidbits for the month. I like it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, yes. We need to be kind always to ourselves. Not an easy thing to remember. We need to like put a a sign up on the mirrors and things like that so we'll remember. But we, you know, one of the things that is shocking to me is that it is November 1st already. And it does seem that time is moving faster. So we're going to talk to our expert tonight about this. Now, I've heard that originally it was just older people, you know, kind of like us, that felt this acceleration with time. However, I've talked to a number of young people, you know, in their teens and their 20s, they're telling me they feel the same way, that time Mm -hmm. is moving super fast, it's hard for them to keep up, they turn around, the week is over, I'm like, hey, that's how I feel. 
so, and I know that's how you feel because we've talked about it at length. Oh, but yeah, our yes. guest tonight, he's an expert about all this, so we're going to pick his brain so we can finally understand what in the heck's happening between this, the Mandela effects. There's a lot to discuss. Now, our guest oh. has a new book, and it's a great book. Yes, Travels it is through fantastic. Time. Yeah, Travels Through Time, Inside the Fourth Dimension, Time Travel and Stack Time Theory. Our guest tonight is Mike Ricksecker, and I'm, I'm going to tell you about, first of all, he grew up not too far from me in Westfield, Massachusetts, and he's the author of the best-selling books, A Walk in the Shadows, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, as well as several historic paranormal books. Now, his latest best-selling book is this new one, Travels Through Time, and that came out just this year. Now, Mike has appeared on multiple television shows and programs, including History Channels, Ancient Aliens, The Unexplained, Travel Channels, The Alaska Triangle, Discovery, it's Discovery Plus, okay, Discovery Plus is Fright Club, Animal Planets, The Haunted, multiple series on Gaia TV, and more. So he's quite the star, and he's on our show tonight, so we're honored. Now, Mike is also the producer and director of the docuseries, The Shadow Dimension, available on several streaming platforms, and he also produces additional full-length content on ancient wisdom, lost civilizations, and the supernatural on his extensive YouTube channel. So for more than six years, he has also hosted the Edge of the Rabbit Hole live stream show and also hosts the Connecting the Universe interactive class. So he's with us tonight. He's also a native of Cleveland, Ohio, and a U.S. Air Force veteran with a degree in simulation programming. And he's an avid baseball fan. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you both so much for having me tonight. I really appreciate it. It's our, it's our pleasure. Yes, we Most had to get you on. You're too big of a star not to have you on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very kind. I appreciate that. And your book is terrific. There's so much yes. to talk about with this book, this whole topic of time. There's so much. What is it that drew you to this topic? Uh, you know, it's a topic that has always really fascinated me. Um, when I was a kid, absolutely fell in love with the movie Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. Oh, that was a great movie, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, an absolute classic. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just ever since then. In the, you know, in the, in the 80s, we had uh, Back to the Future, so that was fun. Um, but as I... I grew and got into the paranormal and supernatural research. So I kept noticing that a lot of the interesting phenomena that we are experiencing seem to have a time component attached to it, or at least a possibility of one. And so I started drawing some of those connections, and it, it led me to producing this work. Well, we have to now start asking questions here because there is so much to talk about. In your book, you go through a tremendous amount of information. So what should we start with? How about these time slips that people experience? Can you tell us at least one of those, because you have a number of them written up in your book, and why you think this happens? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, time slip is basically where you have 
two moments in time that essentially resonate at the same frequency with each other, and one bleeds over into the other. So you get a glimpse of, you know, let's say you get a glimpse of the past, while the person that is back there in the past actually gets a, a glimpse of you in the future. And uh, one of the favorite ones that I enjoy talking about is uh, it involves my good friend Andrea Perrin, what people are familiar with as, uh, as what's known as the Conjuring House, uh, based off of um, you know, the, the first Conjuring movie. Of course, what truly happened in that house is very, very different than what happened in the movie. Uh, most of the movie is fictional, but um, of all the things that happened in that house over the 10 years that they experienced hauntings, um, what what they claim, especially Andrea and, and her mother, um, claim is really the most significant thing, the most fascinating thing that happened was what we would call a time slip. And essentially what happened is uh, was you know, late one evening, it was a couple of weeks after the seance that had gone bad, which was really the big event of, of what happened there at the house. And um, Andrea was up doing homework. Her mother had been asleep, and then you know, Carolyn woke up and asked Andrea if she would put on a short pot of coffee and, uh, you know, heat up the uh, stew that they had had for, for dinner that night, some sort of beef stew. And so Andrea goes to do that, and as Carolyn is sitting there in the parlor looking out into the dining room, which is the room where they had had that, that seance, and all of a sudden she sees morphing into existence is this family out of the 1700s. You have a woman cooking over an open hearth, and at that time the the fireplace in that dining room had been closed off for a hundred years, but there's this woman cooking over an open heart. There's a couple of kids running around and there's two gentlemen sitting at a table holding pewter steins. And one kind of elbows the other and motions toward Carolyn and says to the other gentleman, well, would you look at that? As if Carolyn was the ghost. And the scene mm. kind of dissipated away, but, you know, here you have two moments in time that just bled into each other, and they could each see each other in that moment. Now, Andrea was on our show, and she talked about that very experience, and she had a real love for that house mm-hmm. and was quite mm-hmm. sad when it was sold. But do you have any idea of what could have caused all of the – there's a number of experiences, as you well know, because you're good friends with Andrea, that happened in that mm-hmm. house. There was an unusual source of water underneath the house. That's my guess is how it's um, water being electromagnetic, that there was possibly something going on there. But what do you think causes that? It was particular to the Conjuring House. Yeah, uh, the water is part of it. And there's a lot of things that have happened in and around uh, that house. So there is uh, something going on with the land, of course. It's old Native American land uh, anyway. But... um, in the basement of that house is a room that they call the well room because there's an open well right in that room, which is still open to this day, still has water in it to this day. And like you said, that has um, electromagnetic properties. It's a, it's a conductor for electromagnetism. Uh, but the room itself, the walls are made of limestone. 
and they are capped with granite blocks. So wow. this is really a perfect little power plant. So harnessing that uh, energy that's coming up from the ground through the water and into that room. Now, the parlor, which we were just talking about, is straight above that room. And then right above the parlor is Andrew's old bedroom. And there are so many things that happen just like in a straight column from that well room. So to me, that's really supercharging the whole house. Yeah, it must be. I wonder, you know, the way you talk about that construction with the limestone and the granite capping, mm-hmm. I wonder if they knew exactly what they were doing when whoever built it built it that way. I mean, it's quite unique, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's hard to know because, yeah, it was built so long ago. Um, they don't even truly know the exact date uh, that it was built. Uh, you know, hmm. the 17th century, uh, thereabouts, something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's something. It's a type of construction that we see in ancient Egypt, you know, with the right. uh, you know with, with the temples and the pyramids. You know, they're you know, limestone and granite, and a lot of times you have a water source running through that, and that would charge these these different uh, ancient sites of power. Right. Yeah. So it makes me wonder who did that because it sounds like they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. They, they may have. They may have. You know, we, we do find people, you know, over the centuries that were you know, privy to that sort of esoteric knowledge. If they were, you know, perhaps uh, connected to the, to the Freemasons at all, of course, they would have had that sort of knowledge um, because they right. essentially, their mm-hmm. organization essentially descended from, from those ancients. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. certainly worth looking into. Yeah, it, it is. That's very intriguing. So there are a number of experiences that you write about in the book, and everybody should get the book just for that because it's so fascinating to see uh, how many people have had things like this happen, where they're seeing into another time or they've been placed, basically, in another time. Luckily, they've come back to share their experience, but I wonder how many people disappear into another time slip and don't make it back. Because I know you've heard those stories too, right? Well, there's that speculation because when they don't come back, well, we don't know what happened to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But uh, there are a lot of really strange disappearances where, and I covered a lot of these in the Alaska Triangle, and I mentioned a couple of them in uh, Travels Through Time as well. But, um, you know, like up there in Alaska, in the middle of a very public race, it's the Mount Marathon race. And Michael LeMater, this is about 10 years ago, and he's running up the mountain just like everybody else. And all of a sudden, disappears. He never comes back down from the mountain. They send up search teams and, and all kinds of people to try to find him. He has never been found. Not, not a body, nothing. Ah. Yeah. Uh, we've had, of course, all kinds of missing airplanes. You know, we talk about like, the Bermuda Triangle, the Alaska Triangle, mm-hmm. these different triangle areas of the world. And, you know, one of the ideas is that these uh, planes and other, you know, and people and sh- sometimes ships uh, may pass through some sort of portal into whether it's another dimension or perhaps another point in time. And what I think is pretty telling when it comes to at least with the airplanes 
is, um, you know, I use this as an example in Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. And I actually, I do in uh, Travels Through Time as well, I use the same example. Um, if these airplanes pass through some sort of portal, and we'll say instead of another dimension, maybe it goes back to another point in time, and we'll just use an arbitrary number, like 500 years in the past. Well, what would an airplane look like to indigenous peoples of the area 500 years ago if all of a sudden an airplane was flying over their head? They would have no context whatsoever of an airplane. All they know, as far as you know, things in the air that are flying, would be birds. And this one, very, very long, giant wingspan, very loud, what we know to be a machine, but they don't know that. So this where we get some of our Thunderbird legends, or some of our Thunderbird legends, actually uh-huh. airplanes that have passed uh, or have gone into the past. That could be. Yes, we interviewed a pilot who actually was almost disappeared through the Bermuda Triangle. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it was quite an adventure he talked about. Right going through this. He was a pilot. His father was a pilot, and they were both in the plane. I don't know if you've met this gentleman, but it was an incredible story of getting through this tunnel uh, and trying to get out the other side. Yes, and trying to get out the other side. That was amazing. So, yeah, it's when people survive these kinds of things and they do come back to tell the tale, it's very helpful. I think it can give us more clues as to what's really going on. So, yeah, absolutely. but there Bruce's are a bunch story, that don't. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, Bruce's story gives us a lot of insight as to, because uh, basically he experienced almost like a time jump because when he came out on the end of that tunnel, you know, the city of Miami was below him. And we're just talking right. a span of like a, a couple of minutes and he had gone something like 100 yeah. miles or something <laughs> like that, which he should not have yeah. been able to. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing, and again, it's great to hear it from the people that have experienced this kind of thing. But now, let's move to abductions, ET abductions, mm-hmm. where people have time loss. I mean, so many have reported that. Betty and Barney Hill were one yeah. of the first to, to talk about it, but there's been many, many more. What's your take on that? What's going on there? Well, I think when we look at UFO abduction cases, um, Jacques Vallée did a lot of work on this in uh, his his books, Passport to Magonia, Dimensions, several others, in which not all of what we would consider extraterrestrials are some sort of craft that has traveled across the cosmos to this planet. Some of these actually come from some other dimensional plane that, oh, even if they've traveled to the cosmos, um, you know, they have traveled here from some other dimension. Now, other dimensions, because we currently reside in the fourth dimension, which we call time. Um, and we're actually you know, multidimensional being. Our, our bodies is a third dimensional vessel and our consciousness, which is, on the fourth dimension is inside of it. So it makes us, you know, uh, rather fascinating beings. But everything that is above that, we have 
uh, our theoretical physics has shown that we have up to 11 dimensions. Well, everything that's like fifth, sixth, seventh, and beyond um, experiences time very, very differently. To them, time is like an object, just like we would view a 3D object or a plane or a line or something like that. All those things that are below us, we, we are able to experience with some physicality. Those that are living in dimensions above us or are able to access dimensions above us would see time in the same fashion. So when they come into our dimension, our plane of existence, and pull somebody out of it into theirs, well, time is working on a completely, or what we consider to be time, is working in a completely different way or doesn't even exist on that plane of existence in that dimension. And so, uh, you know, we see stories like this, you know, not just with UFO abduction cases, but you go back into history and, you know, they relate the same type of experiences to other beings. Like, you know, the, uh, in the 18 and 1900s, you had a, a lot of fairy lore where uh, people were being abducted by the fairies, taken to the fairy realm, and they would experience a time loss as well. And you look at those stories, very, very similar to our UFO abduction cases. It's just using fairies rather than extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder how much of the UFO-related uh, time loss has to do with ETs basically not wanting them to remember. So they're not going to remember what happened, which also makes it seem like they lost time because they can't remember what happened during those hours that they were aboard a craft or wherever the heck they were. So there's that aspect because there's a lot that's been talked about uh, with ETs or interdimensionals wiping people's memories so they they can't access those few hours. Well, I mean, there's a degree of, of that that would be associated in some of these cases. You know, people that report, well, you know, I was put onto a medical examination table. Okay, well, um, I know when I've gone into surgery before and they knock me out and I wake up, I don't know how much time has passed, right? So Exactly, there's, there's, right. You know, mm-hmm. something to be said for that in those particular cases. But you have other people that are just driving along and all of a sudden – you know, all kinds of time is just off. You know, it's it's suddenly two hours later, and I'm like, wait a minute, I was just driving for five minutes. I'm further down the road than I was supposed to be, or it might even be near the same spot, but all of a sudden all that time is gone. And it's like, what happened here? Yeah, exactly. What did happen? So, yeah, that's it's very interesting. And I would think when it happens to someone that you get a little shook up by it <laughs> because it really points right. to kind of a blackout in your memory and other things and the loss of control over your own reality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's you know, very fascinating very interesting. phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Yeah, we've heard stories, and I know you've talked about them in your book, about people that have gotten lost, and they're driving around looking for a certain address. They can't find it. And all of a sudden, they find themselves. There was one uh, account that happened where they pulled up, and there was some type of police presence, and they were waving people off saying to take a detour. But they, the police cars were nothing like what 
police cars look like in that time. And their uniforms were nothing like what police uniforms looked like in that time. So they mm-hmm. followed the directions and left and tried to find their way around, and they ended up back in the same spot, but then all of the the police cars and the police were gone. So that you would call a time slip, right? That does sound reminiscent of a time slip. Yeah, absolutely. That if um, I, I'm not sure what year that this story took place in, but if that happened, say, the 1950s and they had a time slip to today's modern era, then, yeah, absolutely, um, you know, they would be seeing uh, police cars and what have you in a very, very different style. And I, I include yeah. one of the stories in my book that I include, um, I had actually written about back in one of my older books that's over 10 years old, um, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma. It was one of the uh, famous ghost stories along Route 66, which is that of the roadside vagabond. Some of those reports had him actually getting into the car and then once in the car, suddenly freaking out and wanting to get out. And, And they'd let him get out and he would disappear. And, you know, relating that to time, okay, if this was some sort of time slip. Now, a lot of these vagabonds are seen with like a fedora, maybe a, a trench coat or something like that, looking like out of the 40s or 50s. And if a person from the 40s or 50s got into a modern car with all of our computer dashboards and, and all of that sort of thing, uh, today, and they and that person saw that. And of course, late forties and into the fifties, you had the big UFO flaps. Everybody's talking flying saucers and everything like that. Um, is it possible that they would have, you know, thought, "Oh my gosh, I just ended up, you know, in an alien spacecraft. I need to get out of here." <laughs> it, it's you yeah. know, it's possible um, that something mm-hmm. like that may have occurred. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you also talk, you cover a lot, as I've mentioned uh, with your book, you talk a lot about doppelgangers. Now, explain what that is mm-hmm. to the audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, doppelganger is a German word for double walker, and this is essentially, um, you know, witnessing somebody that looks like us. You know, maybe, maybe they are us in many of these cases. Um, the legends of war over the years attributed this to, like, evil twins and things like that. Um, but when you actually look at a number of these specific cases, I, I, think it's, I think it's something very different. I think the idea of you know, an evil being or an evil entity trying to you know, mimic a person and, and all of that sort of thing, I think it's just uh, you know, people not understanding what was going on. And really, again, going back to it, I think it's some sort of some sort of time slip. And I'll give a, uh, at least one example here, and I include several examples in the book. But um, uh, the famous German poet Goethe, uh, he includes a story in his uh, in his work Dichtung und Wahrheit, or Poetry and Truth. And he's walking down the road one day toward Drossenheim, which is a town there in Germany. He's having an affair there with a young woman. And as he's walking down the road, he's, he's lost in thought. You know, it's kind of like 
you know, when we're driving down the road today and we zone out and, you know, miss our turn, miss our exit, mm-hmm. what's happening with him when he's walking along the road? And all of a sudden he notices on the other side of the road this man in a gold trim gray suit. He catches his eye and wants to get a closer look at this, this guy in the suit. And all of a sudden, boom, guy disappears. He's like, what in the world was that? You know, just saw this guy and he disappeared. What in the world happened? Well, he continues on his way and, you know, gets to town. Years later, this is not the, at the same time, it's years later, he's walking down that same road in the opposite direction and he comes along that section of the road where he had seen the gold man or the, or the man in the gold trim gray suit and mm-hmm. all of a sudden he looks down at himself and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm the man in the gold trim gray suit because I'm wearing that right now. Just, you know, oh, boy. Wow. Yeah, that, that he had actually seen himself. So and the question is, and if, if you do a search on doppelgangers, this is like one of those classic cases that shows up on everybody's list when you Google that. Um, but it's really not because it's him at two different points in time. And I think what happened here in this particular case and in a lot of these cases he was in a, when he was first walking down the road, he was in a type of meditative state. And when he was lost in thought, um, and when that happens to us, when we zone out while we're driving, mowing the lawn, whatever it is, it is a type of meditative state. And I believe that he had tuned into his own frequency, resonance, and vibration along that road at that other point in time and was able to get a glimpse of that. And once he decided to focus on it, he broke himself out of that meditative state, and that's why it appeared that the guy disappeared. Hmm. That's interesting. So he basically slipped into another level of consciousness that allowed him to see this in another time, is what you're saying? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Amazing. I I worked with Dr. Bill Schultz, a psychologist at the Monroe Institute years ago, and Hmm. Bill had a story that he told me it was fascinating where he was all he was at college and he all of a sudden got this incredible pull that he had to leave and drive out to some kind of field, I don't know, a cornfield or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he just did. He he went out there and there standing in the field was him. Oh wow. So yeah. So he he was fully conscious and just stood there, stared at himself, and there was no conversation or anything like that. And then he just got in his car and left, drove back. <laughs> it was quite an event. So <laughs> I can't imagine. Well I mean, just there's there's yourself. I would want to ask some questions, but it was funny he didn't. Then there was another story. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if it's true. But there was a, a man that was underneath a sink, and he was trying to fix a broken pipe. And he was crawling under the sink, and the next thing he knew, he was in the future, and he met, this is what he claimed, he met his future self. Hmm. And he took a picture, because he had his iPhone or whatever it was with him. And okay. this man had the same tattoo on his arm that he had. But he was, I don't know, 20, 30 years older? Did you hear that story? 
I haven't heard that one. That's a new one on me. But that's interesting. It's a fabulous story, and I've seen the picture. It's quite remarkable. I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah, it's a good one. And having it in a foreign country like, ah, God, I want to say Denmark or one of those one of those mm-hmm. countries like that, like Denmark. But it it was uh, a fascinating thought if you could meet your future self, and he actually did accidentally. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny because a lot of uh, because a lot of people say, well, if you if you meet yourself at another point in time, it creates a paradox and it's gonna you know the universe will explode. And no, that won't happen. Yeah. Yeah, we've also yeah, heard people go back in time and not forward. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you can you can move you know in and out of time. In, in, uh, time is it, it, you can pull yourself out to the fifth dimension. All time is accessible. All of it's there, past, present, future, mm-hmm. which is where I get the stack time theory from. Um, just take where you're sitting right now. Everything that has happened is happening and will happen is all there. Each moment, like a photograph, in a stack. And um, I believe those time slips are just simply two of those photographs resonating at the same frequency for a moment, and they get to see each other, you know, just kind of a glimpse. Or like with, with Goethe, he had, you know, tuned into his resonance and vibration in that other point in time. And so, you know, somebody who is a time traveler would be somebody who has essentially mastered this or somebody from, uh, from another dimension that's able to freely move, move in and out. So, um, yeah, I, I think you know, time travel is really going to have more to do with, with consciousness than like a you know, DeLorean and a flux capacitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what about our military? There's a lot of talk about the military already has <laughs> access to time travel technology. Do they? Well, I will, I will say this military, um, certainly tries their hand at a lot of different things. Like, you know, Project Stargate, they were um, you know, testing remote viewing. So the idea that they would also try to do something with time travel, well, sure, absolutely, they're going to attempt and try something. Do they actually have that technology? Eh, hard to say if they actually do or mm-hmm. not. And there's talk about them identifying different portals on the planet also. Have you heard well, anything that, about that? Yeah. Yeah, well, NASA has um, admitted that there are portals at least off the planet, and they call them X-points. Um, and basically, these are areas. It's, it's along where the, uh, the Earth's magnetism and the solar wind meet. And these type of portals, they've sent satellites up to, to examine this. They sent them up, oh, my gosh, almost 10 years ago now. And... They're, you know, of course, trying to find patterns and trying to figure out what's triggering them and all that, and they can't. They're, they're really pretty random, where they're opening and closing hmm. all different time <clears> interviews. <throat> they open up at different sizes. They stay open for different lengths of time. Nothing seems to be very, very consistent. And these types of portals, basically what they allow to happen is for that solar wind to come in faster to the Earth. And, of course, you know, it hits off our ionosphere, and we get the aurora borealis and, and all that fun stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they've at least admitted, at least off-planet. On-planet, well, that's where researchers like us come into play. Or we are trying to point out, no, these portals do exist here, too. Or like Bruce Gernon, he essentially experienced a type of portal going through 
what he called the electronic fog in that tunnel. Um, it just it sped him up to another point in time very quickly. But you know, yeah. we have these you know, fascinating electromagnetic areas of the Earth that we call a lot of them triangle areas. Um, when uh, we talk about you know, things like ley lines, uh, which is really the telluric currents, the electric, the electric currents within the Earth, um, and you have uh, those areas where you know, they're really, really strong, you know, where they cross and uh, things like that, where you know, some of the strange activity that happens can be attributed to portals. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, Patrice Chaplin wrote a book called The Portal. And I don't. Do you know Patrice? It's fascinating. Uh, I don't believe I do. The UK, and she's been with us a few times here, and we were asking her more about the portals because she takes people. I don't know if she does this anymore, but she used to take people to Rennes-le-Château in France, a very strange chapel that exists there, and from there to Girona, Spain, where there was a portal, as a natural portal. And she would take people on spiritual journeys to that point. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, it, she's a fascinating lady. And she was telling us last time she was with us that she got a phone call from NASA. And oh. they asked her if she knew where there were artificial portals, the, the location of them. And... Mm-hmm. They wanted to know where they were because they wanted to shut them down. I guess things have been coming through. So she told them, honestly, she said, I don't know of any man-made portals. I only know the natural ones. So <laughs> that was the end of the conversation. Yeah. Of course, we were, PK and I were questioning her, well, who, what was his name? You know, what department was he in? And she's like, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. You know, she wasn't interested in any of that, from his perspective, so she didn't um, she didn't ask those questions. But it was fascinating to hear that. It's like, hmm, okay, so NASA knows about them. They want to know what she knew so they could mm-hmm. take action and, and close these things off. I wonder yeah, what was well, coming they're supposed through. To be, yeah, there's supposed to be one in Egypt. I've you know, been out that way a couple of times and a lot of research on Egypt. It's, it's hard to confirm, though. Uh, it's supposed to be in a referred to as Egypt's Area 51, which is a military installation that right next to the uh, the Red Pyramid and the Bent Pyramid. So this is the area of Dasher, and mm-hmm. you know it's just a story that that's come out of there. You know you can't confirm it because you can't go on the base to take a look. But the story that has come out of there is that you know they have an operating Stargate. And the way apparently this one works is that it appears almost like an aurora borealis on the ground. And apparently you you step through it and you're whisked off somewhere else. But again, very, very hard to confirm because you can't get on the base to check it out or anything like that. We do know that there are remnants of old pyramids that are in that area too that you know, when they built the base, it just enclosed them uh, right there as part of the installation. So, you know, is there something there with those older pyramids and the, the bases of those older pyramids? Because you know, we have photos that are like 100 years old 
that show us uh, the, the construction of those? Um, you know, was that part of the functionality of these? Because there are some very, very interesting objects that are in those photos that we're not really sure what they were. Hmm. How interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and we've heard stories from hunters that have gone into the woods and they feel something's off. They go to take a step and their leg disappears through something and they back right mm-hmm. off of it. But that also well, sounds yeah. like a possible um, portal. Oh, absolutely. Some of those people that uh, have gone missing out there, uh, you know, unfortunately there are many of them that we never hear from again, but others that have returned and have been found or, or found their way out of the woods, you know, have reported some strange stories you know, such as you know, kind of almost like that, but, you know, they heard something off in the woods. They're on the path, you know, walking down the path. They hear something out in the woods, and they just take a step or two off the path to have a look at whatever the noise was, and they you can't figure it out can't find it so they turn around to go back on the path and remember they only took like two steps and they turn around to get back on the path and the path is gone so the question is did did they step through some sort of portal that whisked them off to maybe another point in time did it whisk them off to some other place within the forest they have no idea because they were totally lost yeah Yep, exactly, exactly. There's some very scary stories out there when people have gone missing. I'm, I know you must know David Pilates and his work mm-hmm. with Missing 411. And, right. yes, I, we've often talked about it to, in, in terms of is it a time slip, is it another dimensional portal that they slipped into, or were they just taken by other entities, whether they're ETs or something right. else? Never to return again. Yeah, doesn't allow for any closure. <laughs> so that's no, really terrible. No, they're, <gasps> yeah, they're they're totally mystified, and unfortunately, again, some of those people never make it back, and you never know what happened to them. Yeah, it's it's really really pretty horrifying. Now, what are some of your favorite ex- in, pieces of information with the time travel stuff, the stories and things that you've encountered by writing this book? What are some of your favorites? Oh, I mean, we've been talking about a lot of those. <laughs> we've covered um, it already. <laughs> now, well, this, well, some of those stories are some of my favorites. But, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it's just so fascinating to you know, really sit down and explore this area of research because I believe, you know, a lot of our strange phenomena can, uh, you know, can be figured out, deduced – if you uh, keep in mind that component of time. So, you know, we talked about some of these time slips earlier, is, you know, possibly being you know, some of the hauntings and things like that that, that we experience. Um, when we look at, like, the idea of um, you know, simulated universe, if we're actually living in a simulation, um, you know, how, how does time you know, work with that? You know, what is, um, you know, the place where the uh, you know, simulation is being run from? How does time work there? Or does it not even exist there? You know, the uh, a lot of fact, you you had mentioned the Mandela effect earlier. You know, how that's one of my favorites. Yeah. What do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, are there? Well, yeah, it, it causes uh, causes the question: Are there ways in which 
the future may be influencing the present and the past. So, yeah, with the Mandela effect, uh, I think some of that, you know, if you go into, you know, Google Mandela effect and you get those lists of 50 or 100 different things, a lot of it's like pop culture-related branding, things like that. Um, I think some of it is, some of that is misremembered. Um, But there's other stories that just are really fascinating and just don't make a lot of sense as to, you know, why you know, many people across the world that had no connection to each other um, remember something the exact same way. And yet the way the history played out is, is very, very different. And, you know, where we get Well, the, yeah, let's talk about term. one of them, like yeah. Star Trek. This is a big one, where now they say, that there was no one saying, beam me up, Scotty. And I remember, <laughs> beam me up, Scotty. Come on, Scotty, beam me up. I mean, it would be like to the, you know, down to the last millisecond that Scotty would get everybody back on board the ship. But it was like, you're telling me now, no, that never happened? That's what I'm yeah, my, talking about. My sister, my sister back in the 80s on her jacket, had a pin that said, beam me up, Scotty, this planet sucks. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, we got that from right. somewhere. You know, we got exactly. it from Star Trek. So, but exactly. it's gone. It's it's not in the series anymore. That's, that's bizarre. That is so bizarre. It was one mm-hmm. of my favorite lines in that series. Everybody loves that one. But it's, yeah. yeah, everybody loved Beam Me Up, Scotty, and used it in their daily life sometimes. Mm-hmm. But oh, sure. now it's gone. And the same thing with I Love Lucy. Ricky Ricardo oh. coming home yeah. saying, Lucy, you've got some slaying to do. I'm missing. Yep. It's not there. Yeah. I, I think what's, what's happening here when we talk about things like the, the Mandela effect, I think it's the uh, result of time travel, that people that do know how to travel back in time have gone back, and they are not going back to change Star Trek. They're not going back to change I Love Lucy or how Fruit Loops is spelled. Now, that's, it's very, very <laughs> trivial stuff. Um, but the result of their presence there in the past uh, has repercussions that are unforeseen that, you know, they may have, it's basically, you know, when you look at something like the butterfly effect, you know, they're, even if they're just there to watch and observe how the past played out um, and might not even have anything to do with Star Trek or what, or anything, um, they might be there for a completely different reason, but because they closed the door that was supposed to remain open or you know, kicked the pebble down the road that caused this animal to jump, you know, out into the middle of the road, which caused an act, you know, just things like that, you know, which ended up changing enough things throughout the ripple effects that, yeah, the the name of something got changed or, you know, a character got changed somewhere, you know, just because of, you know, you might have ended up with, you're talking about television shows, based on whatever may have happened over the course of that fallout, maybe you had a different writer work on that episode than previously. And so something got changed, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, 
there are ways. That makes which... sense. That makes sense. If people mm-hmm. are going back in time and, and <laughs> the butterfly effect does make sense as well, that mm-hmm. may be why this is happening because I know other people have talked about it's because of what they're doing at, with CERN, that that's causing Well, yeah, this. there's a lot of, yeah, yeah. All the things going on at CERN, you, you really don't know the you know long-term repercussions of that and how it, again, you're talking a ripple effect of, not just within our world, but the universe at large. And, you know, how does that affect all of the other dimensions that are around us? So, What's going on at yeah. CERN? Do you know? Because that is such I mean, have, affecting things. Yeah, I mean, I haven't spent time at CERN, but I, there's, there's a number of you know, rumors. Well, and people speculate that what they're doing over there um, – the atom smashing and all that wonderful stuff that they're eventually going to uh, blow up the world. But uh, you do have scientists now that have created, at least on the quantum level, uh, you know, a baby wormhole in, in a lab. And basically what they did is they created uh, two small black holes in this quantum environment that uh, were able to send a message back and forth to each other through a quantum tunnel that they had created. And that's, that's essentially a wormhole. So it's very, very small scale. Um, but when we, cause they're going to try to, of course, make a bigger one. You know? Yes, of course. But let's hope that they don't <laughs> suck the planet into the thing. <laughs> I know, really. Uh, these people, I don't know. When they start doing these things, it all makes me a little bit nervous. What about you, PK? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're all at risk every minute on this planet today. But, yeah, there's been so much talked about with the Mandela effect, and it's something that I've thought about long and hard, but I think your your thought on it is probably the best one, that, yeah, people mm-hmm. who know how to do this are doing it, and things are shifting in our reality today because of it. It makes sense. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and even, um, you know, there can be things that affect our present, that not even from a time traveler, just, or it would be sort of related to a time slip, but really it would be energy transferred from one moment in time to another. So this is a story that I like telling. It has to do with my fiancé and I, uh, Jennifer. And we've known each other... You know, Literally forever. Um, we we grew up together in Massachusetts. We were in first grade together. She was oh my, my goodness! Yeah, yeah. She was my first kiss in the library Aww. in first grade. Yeah, really, really sweet. <laughs> and I'm so just, sweet. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm just and I was just standing there by the the books in the library, the the one stack of books, you know, trying to find something to read. And she just boom lays one right on my cheek. Um, I was totally shocked you. at the time. Yeah, she kissed me. <laughs> I had, I, yeah, I'm sure I got really red and flustered or whatever, and no idea why why she had done that. Because you know, I mean, we were in class together, but we didn't have a lot of interaction up to that point. Um, so um, I had moved from Massachusetts in in eighth grade when I was 13 years old, and um, it was years later that uh, we found each other on. Facebook. This was like a good 15 years ago now. 
And, you know, we just kind of caught up. We stayed in touch over the years when our paths would cross. We'd, you know, get together for dinner or whatever. And, you know, along those years of catching up, I I asked her, what in the world? Um, you know, wh- why did you <laughs> there in the library? And she's like, and she's like yeah. I don't know. She's like, I don't know. You just had this big chubby cheek sitting out there and something <laughs> told me to kiss it. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, it's really cute. I know. So, um, that is. yeah, last year, um, she had, she had come out on my Ireland tour and we just, we really hit it off and that's where we got together. So about a, a month and a half after the Ireland trip, uh, we were, uh, back at our old hometown, checking out our old haunts. We went back to the, the elementary school, Juniper Park, which is now uh, a part of the uh, Westfield State University. They use it as a performing arts center now. And, but So we're walking around the grounds, peeking in windows and you know, checking it out and all that sort of thing. So we went to uh, where the library had been. They have it set up as some sort of music room or something now. And we're peeking in the window and Jen starts yelling through, you know, we point out the spot where it happened, and Jen starts yelling through the window, kiss him, kiss him. Yeah. And you were having a nice little laugh, right? Yeah. So, but as we were driving away, it hit us. It's like, wait a minute. Jen had said that she didn't know why she had kissed me in the cheek. Something had told her to kiss my cheek. And here it is, 40 years later, 42 years later, <laughs> where, um, you know, she's yelling through the window, you know, kiss him, kiss him. So was it her 48-year-old self telling her six-year-old self to kiss me on the cheek? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. That is fascinating. Wow. <laughs> That's full circle. And now tell us. Absolutely. Is her favorite movie, movie Somewhere in Time also? Um, she actually had not watched that until last year. And because I was, had talked about it several times, she sat down and watched it. And, yeah, she absolutely loves it. And we went up there. I had a conference in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, a couple of months ago. And on the way back, we, uh, we visited Mackinac Island. Wow. What? Well, gosh, when's the wedding? I mean, this is a mystical <laughs> romance. Yeah. You gotta have like a magical wedding, wedding too. Yeah. Oh, it's well, we're having fun with it. We've both been down that road before. So it's May fourth, twenty twenty-five. We are having a Star Wars themed oh. wedding. Oh my gosh! How great! Yeah. Wow, that's wonderful. Well, you've got plenty of time to plan, that's for sure. Exactly, yeah. For, for something like that, we need, we need plenty of time to plan, which is why we pushed it out to 2025. That and my, oh my niece is getting married right around that same time next year. So it's like, oh, well, let my niece have her moment, and we'll have more time to plan. How exciting. Well, congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. But that is, you know, it's interesting in reading your book, which again, everybody, the name of this great book is Travels Through Time, Inside the Fourth Dimension Time Travel and Stacked Time Theory. Yeah, you you really have encapsulated so many mysteries 
with this umbrella of time. So it, it gives gives us a whole different way of looking at all of this phenomena. It's very interesting to do it through that lens. Thank you. Yeah, it was it's really it was a passion project and I was you know what's what's interesting about this this work is originally I was writing a book called Connecting the Universe. Um, it's something I've been talking about a lot over the last several years is everything throughout the the universe is connected. And so that was that was the way I was taking this particular book. But I was out in Egypt back in February. I had just given like a big presentation on because uh, we do a, a Nile River cruise, and um, I had just given a big presentation on the cruise, and we're headed off to uh, one of the temples. And something about that presentation, interacting with the people that were on the tour, um, and then just uh, something about you know being there in that ancient world that like you know. Connecting the Universe is not one book. It's an entire series of many books uh, with a lot of different areas that I, I want to cover. And so then the question was, what's the first topic that I'm going to, to cover? And again, time tra- travel had been something I was really, really interested in. I'd already written a lot for the book uh, in regards to time travel, and I decided that's where I was going to start because you know it gives – the series a base from which is stark is really, you know, the, the book gets into a lot of the different connections and inner workings of the universe and it'll take us into the other volumes. Wow. So the, so this book really came to you when you were in Egypt. Is that what you're saying too? That this all, wow. The way that I was finally going to carry out this book and, the next ones, yeah, that all came to me in Egypt in February. I mean, like I said, I'd already been working on a lot. I already had a lot of material. But, um, yeah, the, the way that I put it all together and then, you know, kind of took off with the, with the rest of uh, everything that was in uh, Travels Through Time, yeah, uh, I spent like the next three months cranking out the rest of it. Oh, my God. Good for you. Well, there's a lot that went into this, that's for sure. I mean, anybody who's lucky enough to get their hands on this book is going to learn a lot of things. Yeah, it's very well done, Mike. It's excellent. Yeah, really worth the read. So what's your next book? Ah, the next one. Well, it's either going to be, and I'm, I'm still mulling over which one it's going to be. It's either going to be the one on stargates of ancient Egypt, or it's going to be on uh, like triangle areas and uh, in power places uh, across the globe. So, wow, it, I'm still debating mm-hmm. which, which way good. I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, both of them sound like they're going to be great, and we really hope you'll come back on the show and. Share more great stories about all yeah, of this. Quite an adventure you're on. Definitely did that. Oh, interesting for the rest of us to have to ride on the coattails to see the wonderful things yes. you're part of. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It's been great. Yeah, it's so much. It was a wonderful conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Now I got to go back and watch that movie somewhere in time. Do you remember that one, PK? That was I, yeah, it was it so emotional. Well, that that was an it. emotional film. Oh my yeah. god! It, it, it was really great. was. At heart, it's a at heart, it's a romance movie. But I I think that the writer Richard Matheson was really really onto something 
with mm-hmm. his idea of the way time works and being able to travel back in time. He actually based that whole concept off of you know, older books, older like scientific and philosophical books that had dealt with the nature of time. So, um, yeah, he just didn't, ah. you know, you know, off the top of his head, he had actually done the work and put the research in to develop uh, that method in that story. Gosh, well, he did a brilliant job, and it touched yeah. my heart. I'll never forget that film, and now I have to go watch it again. So, fantastic. Well, this has been great. Everybody, the book is called Travels Through Time. Make sure you get your own copy and read it. It's, it's wonderful. excellent. Yes. Definitely. And, Mike, thanks again so much to for coming on the show tonight. We so appreciate it. And good luck with your next book and your next appearance on wherever it is and wherever it's going to be. Let us know. We'll announce it so everybody can watch. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much for having me tonight. This has been a really wonderful conversation. Well, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We want pictures. Well, thank you. And we want pictures of that Star Trek-themed wedding, by the way. We want to see the pictures. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, congratulations to you and Jennifer. And, again, thanks for being on the show. So we'll be back next week, everybody, with another exciting show, another adventure just for you. Make sure to join us. And until then, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl.